There are a number of appreciation days on the annual calendar. These are real. April 17th is Husband Appreciation Day, so we miss that. September 18th, Wife Appreciation Day, so that's coming up. So, guys, I'm telling you right now, put that in your calendar. Your wife's going to forget or remember which of the two I don't know is worse. But if you remember Wife Appreciation Day, September 18th, that's going to be big. Some are normal, like March 9th is Employee Appreciation Day. May 6th, National Tourist Appreciation Day. Not sure how that's celebrated or where. Uh, there's a lot of weird days. April 30th is Hairstyle Appreciation Day. February 23rd, International Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day. September 22nd, Elephant Appreciation Day. And October 3rd, my favorite, Virus Appreciation Day. I started to read why that's an appreciation, and they just, it started off by saying uh, to appreciate all the way viruses have changed our lives, and I thought, that's, that's as far as I want to go. Then there are extended days, even whole months dedicated to appreciation. July 3rd through August 15th, air conditioning appreciation days. Although around here, it should be May 1st until uh, September 30th, probably. May is National Military Appreciation Month, so thank you for your service. October, entire month, <laughs> Clergy Appreciation Month. Yeah, you're going to want to get in on the ground floor of that. How does one go about creating an Appreciation Day? Well, a National Day is literally an act of Congress, and it takes a lot of work. First step, you contact your local congressperson. Once you have their attention, you have to create the proposal, and hopefully it will get onto the congressional agenda before too many years have passed. If you're intent on doing it and have the patience, though, it can be done. Other days are just created by companies and special interest groups and local governments and sports teams and others by simply declaring it so. The vast majority of these are local one-time events that don't capture much attention and are soon forgotten. Didn't they, while I was gone, didn't they have a taco truck throwdown? in Hanford. Anybody go to that? Uh, highly successful, I can tell, but anyway. Uh, as for appreciation itself, William James once said, the deepest principle of human nature is the craving to be appreciated. I don't think I'd say that or go that far, but it's an interesting quote. I will say that feelings of being un- or underappreciated often surface when I am talking to people. Perhaps some of you feel un- or underappreciated. might be on your job. That's a terrific place to feel un- or underappreciated. It could be in your marriage. That's a sad place, but people do feel that way. could be in the ministry, uh, un- or underappreciated. If left to fester, it's something that's going to depress you. It'll eventually deceive you. It will defeat you. Paul the Apostle was definitely unappreciated. We're in the midst of a series where we're talking about his prayers. We're looking at some of his prayers. And as I got to the book of 2 Corinthians, I uh, was thinking about how difficult his ministry was in Corinth and how uh, the church treated him. And uh, to say he was un or underappreciated is an understatement. In two verses filled with emotion, he wrote to the Corinthians and said, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, and 15. He says, now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. 
For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Ouch. Wow. Paul the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the more I love you, the less I am loved. Uh, obviously not sour grapes, not sarcasm. He's just speaking the truth in love as the Holy Spirit gave it to him. During his second missionary journey, Paul had spent 18 months in this Greek city, more time than any other city except for Ephesus, where he spent three years. He labored day and night to support himself and to strengthen the believers. He didn't want to be a burden on them financially, and so he worked and supported himself. The more he loved them, the less he was loved back. Why didn't they appreciate Paul? Well, there are a lot of reasons given if you read First and Second Corinthians, but here are a couple of the main reasons. First of all, the Corinthians prided themselves on their intellectual ability. Paul refused to act intellectually among them. It was at Corinth that Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Although possessing a powerful intellect, Paul would not put it on display. As Chuck Smith might say, Paul simply taught the word simply. And so the folks in uh, Corinth, they put a high value on intellect and, and um, you know, uh, on presentation and things like that. Paul said, I'm just going to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified in the simplest possible way. And as a result, uh, they disrespected his ministry. Secondly, the Corinthians prided themselves in their open-mindedness and tolerance even for sin. In one famous instance, they had a couple attending their church that consisted of a man and his father's wife living together. Paul rebuked them. He would not allow them to be comfortable in their carnality and sin, but he confronted them. Some of Paul's strongest language against sin among God's people is in this book. And um, I'll tell you right now, people who are in sin, Christians who are in sin, when they get rebuked, they're not happy about it usually, unfortunately. And so Paul had a tough ministry. He was un or underappreciated, but he was not depressed. He didn't get deceived. He wasn't ever defeated. He said, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He says, you, you can treat me however you want, but I'm going to put myself out there for you because that's what I do. That's what the Holy Spirit has me doing. And how you treat me uh, certainly affects me, but it's not going to stop my ministry. He was glad. He said, I have joy despite this treatment. Uh, you ever been in a job you hated? I, I've been there. I'm not there now. But, uh, so don't think I'm giving you... But uh, I remember right after I got saved, I thought, what am I doing? Selling title insurance. It's almost fake. It's, it's like, it's like insurance... They look at public records and say, yep, mm-hmm, yep, you own that house. That's you. That'll be 500 bucks, you know, and stuff. And <laughs> dealing with, you know, anyway, it, it just, I hated it. And, and uh, you know, have you ever been in a job like that? But then it's worse when you start to think you're unappreciated. Look how hard I'm working. Nobody's appreciated. They passed me over for a raise. They passed me over for a promotion, that kind of a thing. Paul says, I, I'm going to have joy no matter what. You can, I can hate my job. You can underappreciate me. You can unappreciate me, but I'm going to have joy in this situation. Spend here means to expend, and spent means exhaust. Paul expended himself to the point of exhaustion. The more he did, the less they loved him. But he says, I do that gladly. 
I do it gladly. Expanding yourself to the point of exhaustion for people who fail to appreciate you seems a sign of weakness. Why would you want to do that? But that's exactly the point, because five times in chapter 12, Paul uses the Greek word asthenesis. It's translated into three English words, infirmities, weakness, and weak, but it's the same Greek word. He didn't regret being a weakling. He rejoiced in it. Paul said, uh, I, I am weak on your behalf. First, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul is saying, um, not just his physical infirmities, but in being reproached and in persecutions, uh, and they certainly were reproaching him. He said, you can reproach me all you want, unappreciate me, underappreciate me, but I'm going to rejoice in that because in that perceived weakness, I find the strength of God. Uh, and he almost sounds like he in, wanted to be unappreciated so that the power of the Holy Spirit could come through him. I was I think I've used this illustration already, but bear with me. It was on a Sunday morning. Alan Redpath, former pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, tells the story that once he had a stroke, a debilitating stroke, uh, while he was pastoring, and he grew depressed and angry and bitter towards God. Here he was serving the Lord, and yet the Lord allowed this to come into his life, and and um, I'm sure he, put it, he puts it more eloquently, but essentially he said the Lord used it to show him what was still in his heart, that he had pride and that he believed that he deserved more than he deserved. And, and, and you know, so it was a severe mercy in his life so that he could repent. And he did finally ultimately recover from the stroke and continue in ministry until his death. But uh, it, it's interesting. Paul would say these moments where the church is mistreating me, though he had naturally human feelings about it, he could see what his real reaction was. Was he going to be bitter or was he going to rejoice? And he says here, I rejoiced in this because I, I understood uh, that I am supposed to be weak and let God's strength take over. God's strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness, therefore he delighted in being a weakling. Now, we don't ordinarily put much value on weakness. We don't hire or promote people who are weaklings. We don't vote for weaklings. Yet, here was Paul boasting about being a weakling. Twice in verse 7, Paul uses the phrase, lest I be exalted above measure. We love to measure things by using standards. At school, you measure using test scores and grades. At work, you measure using sales and productivity figures. The standard of spiritual measure Paul used was weakness. God's strength can only be made perfect in my weakness. When I am weak, then and only then am I strong. And so what do we mean by weakness? Well, in Paul's case, super intellectual guy. He could be one of those guys that preaches a message and you go away saying, man, I didn't understand a word he said, but it was really deep. That guy really knows the Word of God. You ever been to a Bible study like that where you thought, this guy is smart? You've never been to one of my Bible studies, but uh, you, you, you've, you, you know, sometimes you hear these guys, you think, that guy is so smart, I, I could hardly even follow him. You know what? That's no good. If people can't understand you, what good is it? 
And so Paul dumbed down his message to something very simple, and he was criticized for it, but he got the gospel out. And so he didn't mind being a weakling. He, he wasn't the kind of guy that said, hey, I'm going to show you my 15 degrees. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was schooled under Gamaliel. Uh, if I wanted to, I could blow your mind with the language knowledge that I have. He didn't care about any of that. He never had to defend himself. He just continued to do his ministry on a simple level. He'd preach a message. And I'm sure, you know, churches haven't changed very much in, in, in all these centuries. He would preach the message, and I'm sure there'd be a group over here that he could overhear smirking and, and uh, snickering at, at what a foolish message. Paul says the same thing every week. That's the same message he gave last week. When are we going to get beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified into some of the really deeper truths of God? I wish they would let Apollo speak every now and then. That guy really has it going. He's a smart guy. And, and Paul rejoiced in that. He thought, praise the Lord. I've come across as simple. They may not want to receive it, but they understand the word of God. And, and he just very unique in his approach to things uh, and, and his, what he measured himself by. And so this kind of brings us back to our original thought. You're expected to expend yourself to the point of exhaustion regardless whether you are appreciated or not. This is hard at work, I know, you know because we can, you can always choose to slough off at work. There's always ways to not put in a full day's work. And the more that we think that we're unappreciated and that we're being overlooked or mistreated, uh, the, the less hard we want to work. And actually, I guess if, if Paul is correct under the influence of the Spirit, we should work harder the more underappreciated we are. Not to prove anything about ourselves, not to get the raise or uh, to be noticed, but to be Christians so that our bosses and our coworkers look at us and scratch their heads and said, there's nothing I can do to this guy or this gal. The more I load on them, the more joy they have, the gladder they are, the harder they work. There's nobody like that. How is this possible? Well, it's only possible in the Holy Spirit. And they have a good attitude about it, too. You ever have a crummy attitude at work? I have. You act like you're, everything's okay, but it's not. And so, you know, Paul, Paul says, hey, take your weakness and turn it into God's strength so that people know that it's only because the Holy Spirit lives in you and shines through you that you're able to be this. And so at those times when I've thought or said, I don't have to take this, or I don't deserve to be treated this way, or anything like that, those are times of rejoicing and, and not times of rebelling. Did Jesus deserve to be treated worse than a common criminal? Did he deserve to be beaten and flogged, to be mocked and jeered and spat upon? Did he deserve to be crucified? Of course not. Jesus preeminently among all men didn't deserve his treatment. We deserved his treatment. It's never a matter of what you may or may not deserve. It's a matter of who you are devoted to. You're devoted to Jesus. And that leads us to two final principles. First, Paul said, I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. Well, let me try and fill in some details of what he was saying. I mentioned he had refused to accept any money from the church at Corinth for his ministerial services. He didn't want to burden them with his own needs. Even so, they accused him of being in the ministry for money. He knew he wasn't, and he was wise enough to anticipate the accusation and refuse any local support. But behind these words are an important principle. Paul had died to himself and to his needs in order to concentrate on being helpful to others. 
He considered others better than himself, even if they didn't appreciate him for it. The lack of appreciation was a small thing to Paul because he wasn't looking to receive anything from them. Paul never was looking at a person and wondering how he would be ministered to or what he could receive from that person. He felt he had an overabundance of grace in the Spirit and was called to minister to them. This lack of appreciation was a small thing to Paul, and it should be a small thing to us. The more you let these feelings of unappreciation fester, the more you prove that you have not died to yourself, the more you see your own selfishness. Paul said, I preach Jesus crucified. Okay, let's treat you badly and see how crucified you really are. You know, crucified means dead. Not, you know, not, not mostly dead, like in The Princess Bride or something like that. It means fully dead. And so Paul says, I, Paul got up and he said, I, you know, Jesus Christ died and I died with him and rose from the dead with him with a newness of life. And he might as well have said, and so when you mistreat me, I'm going to act like a dead man when it comes to that. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to come after you. I'm not going to expose you. I'm just going to remain dead and continue to preach this message verbally and also with my life. If you feel unloved or unappreciated, the person or people involved are therefore selfish, self-centered, thinking only of themselves. The minute you think that, you're just as selfish, if not more, than they are. Paul used the example of parents sacrificing for their kids. You get the idea. Whether your kids are grateful or ungrateful, you go on providing for them. Now, second, Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He was in the business of soul care. He wanted what was ultimately best for others spiritually. He looked ahead to the spiritual results of his expending himself to the point of exhaustion. Not just the results in their lives, though, but in his own. He knew God would approve him one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Lately, I've been telling people who are in a certain situations that God requires obedience and rewards obedience, not results. I don't know that I can be responsible for spiritual results, whether I'm pastoring a church or bringing up children or working on a job, whatever it is. The results are up to the Lord. I'm just going to be judged and rewarded on the basis of my obedience. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul wrote, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. And so all of this life we are living is going to end one day in a very real heaven, a heaven more real than the seat you're sitting on and the building you're seated in. So never lose sight of your future reward. Warren Wiersbe said, Heaven isn't a destination, it's a motivation. Now, of course, it is a destination, too. It's a real place. It's a wonderful place full of glory and grace where you'll see your Savior's face. Remember that song? And never mind. But we're motivated by that meeting that we're going to have with the Lord. Each one's praise will come from God. Your wife, sadly, might not appreciate you. Mine does, so, but yours might not. Your kids might not appreciate you. Your friends might not appreciate you. The rest of your family, your students, your co-workers, or other believers in the church. But you have an appointment to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do, you want to hear his praise. You want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. A life that does not hear those words cannot be considered successful. 
And those words don't depend on people appreciating you. That's temporary. That's fleeting. You're not even sure if it's even true. What you want to hear is that you were faithful in what you were called to do. For Paul to hear those words from the Lord meant a long period in his life spent being unloved and unappreciated. It may mean the same for you. The next time you feel that way, the next time you hear yourself starting to say, I don't deserve this, instead rejoice and be glad because it gives you the opportunity to appear to others as a dead man. Dead in trespasses and sins, made alive in Christ, now dead in Christ so that none of these things bother you. Begin to consider others better than yourself, even if it is those who should love you more. Die to yourself. It's a decision. Expend yourself for them to the point of exhaustion. Think ahead to your appointment with Jesus and to his evaluation of your sacrifice. Amen?